Good morning, church. I have grown since last service. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, Luke 11. This is God's word. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside the door and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a, a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks, Ashton. <clears throat> that is the God's word. Good morning, Sound City. Hey, let me go ahead and pray for us and open us up in our time today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the sunshine and spring is on its way. And it's a reminder, Lord, that new life is coming. Lord, thank you for the way you love us, the way you care for us. And Lord, even as we gather worship today, Lord, I ask that the Spirit would just reinvigorate us to love you, to worship you, and to go beyond just today to be a light for you in all the places that we travel. We love you, we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so I realize, <clears throat> I think we, I know all of you, and I've met all of you, but we don't know everything about each other. And I think that's just to be expected. And if you've ever collected sports cards, or for the kids here listening, if you've collected Pokemon cards, there are little statistics and descriptions about who the Pokemon or the sports player is. So this is a little sports card bio about myself. <clears throat> I wish I could say I was 6'4", but no, I'm 5'8". <laughs> <clears throat> I was born in Korea. Uh, I moved to South Florida when I was around the kindergarten age. Uh, my aunt had moved to South Florida. That's how I ended up there with our family. And many of you are wondering, are Asians in South Florida? And the answer is no. <laughs> and so it was a great place for us to end up so that we can really acclimate really quickly. <laughs> I grew up in South Florida near the beach. And so I grew up with the beach, with basketball, and bros. Those are the three Bs that you need when you grow up in South Florida. <clears throat> I also grew up listening to hip hop and R&B music. Throughout the years, I think I've been, maybe not well-versed is not the right way, but Aaron has taught me a number of things from scripture, life, parenting, but also music. <laughs> he has shoved down my ears a lot of metal music. <clears throat> So much so that when we are working out at the gym, he sometimes plays his own music that he's created and written and played all the instruments for. 
and so I can't run away from it. But when he is no longer with us, it'll be a sad day because I love Aaron so much. But I've started to already think that I'm going to institute, instead of a Metal Monday, which he normally does, I'm going to institute Hip Hop Tuesdays. <laughs> so you guys can come on Tuesdays, and instead of the metal music on Mondays, you'll be welcomed through these hallways with Tupac. Tupac will welcome you. <laughs> I was raised in the church, but I was saved in seventh grade uh, at a youth retreat. At the youth retreat, the youth pastor was using an overhead projector. If you guys remember what those are, I think everyone might know except the kids. It was an overhead projector that showed things on the screen. And I was saved through the gospel presentation. I went, embarrassingly, to go meet girls, and I met Jesus using the overhead projector. I think there was a flannel graph involved somewhere during that retreat also. It was an amazing time because it was the first time the gospel message and the stories from scripture had come to life and realized it was for me. I went and have been living my life looking through a mirror looking at everyone else's life saying, hey, I'm not so bad. Look at, look at the people that I'm looking through, my, my, my lenses, my, the mirrors that I'm looking through, the people that I'm seeing. I'm not so bad. But it wasn't until that youth retreat, the mirror or the, the window had turned into a mirror and I really saw my own sins, my own brokenness for a need for a physician, a savior. And so I came home all excited and I started attending a different church with my friends at school and just loved, fell in love with God's word and his people. Fast forward, I met my wife here in Washington um, after I graduated college. Uh, she was dancing for the Pacific Northwest Ballet and she was roommates with a, um, an intern at the church that I was interning with. And she had brought my wife to an intern party, and that's how we met, at the fireplace, or the fire pit. Um, it was an amazing time, and it's been an amazing decade plus. Um, she, if you guys know her, I, she is literally the sweetest person I have ever known. Um, I'm not even exaggerating. No exaggeration at all. She's the sweetest person. She is also very godly and has... Just a blessing to have her be patient with me. That's all I got to say. Um, we have three awesome kids. Caleb is our oldest, seven-year-old. We have Asher, who is four, and we have Grace, who is seven months as of this week. So we are lacking sleep. I almost forgot what I was lacking because I was lacking it so much. <laughs> but we are enjoying the moments that we have as our kids are growing. We live a pretty simple life. We have simple enjoyments. We like taking walks. We like having conversations with each other. We like playing board games together. We like inviting people to our house for dinner. <clears throat> um, yeah, watching sports, coaching, just a pretty simple life. Uh, we're not complicated. I think the, uh, the other pastors and staff members, they like to culture me. Um, I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, if you are into the Enneagram, some people say it's of the devil, but if you're into it, <laughs> I am an Enneagram one with a wing eight. 
So my wife likes to say that I'm pretty intense. Um, I think I give off the wrong impression because ever since I was young, my teachers have always said, you always have a grin on your face, you're always smiling, so the intensity masks itself. Uh, but I think my wife has nailed it and says I am a pretty uh, intense person. If you're around me for any length of time, I think you realize that I wear my shorts all year round. I'm walking around so you can see that I am not. Um, I grew up not owning pants till I was in college in Florida. <clears throat> so me wearing pants for you today is because I love you. I love you guys very much. And if you ever forget, just look at what I'm wearing on Sundays. And let's get this out of the way. I realize probably many of you might not be comfortable saying my name to me because you might not realize how to pronounce it. Maybe like half of you have never called me by my name because you're like, how, how do I say his name? So we'll get this elephant out of the way. You can call me whatever you want, but if you want to call me the correct way, it's just one syllable, it's myung. If you're John, and you can't say that because you're from Texas and it just won't allow you, you can say myung, or as he says it, myung, or whatever that may be, okay? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it as long as you guys are comfortable calling me by my name. And so let's get into today's passage. I know Ashton read for us the main passage of the parable, which is starting at verse five, but I actually wanna take, um, a, a make a pit stop and go back, rewind to verses one through four, because I think it's worthwhile taking a stop there because I believe it's important his disciples are asking, how do we pray? <clears throat> and because this parable is about, mainly about prayer, I thought, oh, what a better place to start then his disciples asking how to pray. So we should probably start there. So I'm gonna read for us verses one through four. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. There are a number of things that I think this passage teach us, teaches us um, as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, but there are four observations that I wanna make that kind of set the framework for what I want you guys to carry throughout the sermon today. Um, one of the interesting things that I found, and a very cool thing that I found, was that I do believe even in these four passages carries a salvation flow through it. And so the first point that I'm gonna say is that our prayers should be centered on God, which means we're setting our minds, our hearts, our body posture to hollowing, honoring, glorifying who he is first and foremost. That is where you start prayer. Um, I think there is, I think church history might teach us something or maybe just even our brief history of our own church backgrounds where we are kneeling down to pray, folding our hands, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. I think that's all a way for our physical posture to reflect where our emotional and spiritual state is to making sure that when we pray, it's about who he is, that's where it starts and that is the groundwork. So that's the first observation. The second observation is this, that our prayers show our need and dependence on God. 
We're recognizing our complete need for him when we read passages like, give us each day our daily bread. There's nowhere, no way around it. Everything that we do, everything that we receive, where we start is out of a need for him. We're not coming to him praying, saying we got things figured out. We're not saying, hey, look what we have already. Lord, I have, I have abundance, but I'm coming to you anyways. It is not that. We're coming to him realizing that we have nothing. That is the start. Our prayers also seek the forgiveness of God. It's our need for our sins to be forgiven, our debts, our sins to be forgiven. And the last observation is that our prayers seek the power of God to forgive others and to not be led into temptation. I'm not sure if you guys are seeing, look, like our need for God, it all starts with God. And then our prayers show our need and dependence on God and our brokenness and our sin. And then our prayers seek the forgiveness of God through Jesus, work on the cross. And our prayers also seek the continual power of God living by and through the Holy Spirit. It is a salvation flow even in these four verses that I'm seeing. So we're now going to move into the main passage. And the parable is, I think we titled it the annoying neighbor that knocks in the middle of the night or something. The one about bugging your neighbor in the middle of the night. Yes, it might be you. It might be me. Whoever that might be, let's get into the sermon. So the big idea for today is that God invites his children to pray. If you are his sons and daughters, he is inviting us to pray. And the first main point, the big point is this, is that God delights in his children and invites us to be near. Verses five through eight. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he, which is the friend, will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children my precious little baby over there, and I have gone to bed, and I can't give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Wow. Okay. So coming home from work, I don't know how you guys come home from work, but when I come in through the doors without losing a beat every day, my oldest son, Caleb, will run to me and say, Dad, let me show you something. Or he'll say, Dad, can I tell you something? It's always something is going on, and I love it. My youngest son, Asher, comes right behind him because he's not as fast. He'll run, and right after Caleb moves aside, there is a right hook coming for me, <laughs> punches me right in the gut. I've been doing this very, like, I've kind of been bending down, right? That's what I do now, so that it lands on my gut. But he punches me right in the gut and says, Dad, you ready to wrestle? More recently, since we are back in baseball season, he'll bring his bat. And he's not swinging the bat, but he has the bat and ball in his hand. He throws the ball and says, because he can't pronounce the word derby, he says, Dad, are you ready to play home run dirty? <laughs> and I love hearing those words from them. And Grace usually is out somewhere playing, looking on her belly or uh, sitting up now and just crying, smiling, whatever she is doing at seven months old. <laughs> now, what I take from this is that oftentimes my response 
to their coming to me in their excitement is as often as I would like, every time they come up to me, I want to say, yes, I am ready. Let's play home run dirty, as dirty as you want. Let's play it. <laughs> or if Caleb says, I want to tell you something, I want to see what you are making. I want to see what you've been working on. I want to see what's on your mind. I want to know these things. But I think oftentimes those are my responses. But there are other times those are not my responses. The other times my responses are, hey, Dad is really tired right now. Can I just put my stuff down, go to the bathroom, and then we can talk about it? Or it's like, oh, buddy, not today. We have like people coming over in 30 minutes, and you just punch me, and I can't breathe, and <laughs> we have to get ready. Or if, if there's something going on that's bigger, you know, with a uh, more serious look, I'll say, hey, not today. Let's do this another time. When I read these few verses, what I'm seeing is not a response that describes God, but what I'm reading here is the response of how we are. The neighbor's response to me really depicts how we respond to life circumstances. I'm gonna do a little compare and contrast for you guys, <clears throat> but we're gonna start with that the response that I see from the neighbor teaches us that we are limited in our capacity. We are limited in our physical, emotional capacities. I don't know about you, but maybe some of you are an eight-hour sleeper, and you need your eight hours of sleep every day or things are not going to go well for you or for everyone around you. <laughs> maybe that's you. Maybe you often feel like with everything going on in your life, you don't have the emotional, physical, or spiritual bandwidth to give to those around you. Maybe if you receive a phone call after dinner, putting the kids down at 8 p.m., you get a phone call and you look at the caller ID and you realize, oh, it's so-and-so, and I know how difficult this conversation is going to be. I know who's calling, and I know the challenges that this conversation will bring. Or if, some, if a neighbor comes to you, um, and you know that this neighbor just likes to talk to you, and you realize, man, I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to interact with my neighbors. Maybe that's you. And I think that's all of us at times. Another observation that I made from the neighbor is that we struggle to be consistent. We know what we should do, but we struggle to live it out. We don't live in the hospitality culture that we read from this scripture passage, nor do we live in the hospitality culture that we see in actually the rest of the world. It's very different. Some of the things that we're reading <clears throat> might resonate as you're saying, hey, I think I would respond to them like the neighbor would. If someone is knocking in the middle of the night, trying to wake me up, asking for not one, not two, but three loaves of bread, right? I would respond in a similar way. But it's different, especially in the Jewish context that we're reading from. It's very different, and it's abnormal, actually, to behave the way that this neighbor did. And so I really love this rabbi and author, Frank Stern, who says... Hospitality was considered a sacred duty in the Jewish community, even when the visitor was a stranger. 
In this case, the visitor was a friend. It was unthinkable that the neighbor would refuse this request, even if it meant rising off the straw mat on which husband, wife, and children slept huddled together, unlocking the creaky latch, opening the door, and waking the children, the neighborhood would comply. So what he's saying is that this was no altruistic act that this Jewish man was doing. It was not something saying, oh, I'm so tired, my children are sleeping, but you know what, because you're a friend and you're asking me, I'll give you three loaves of bread. He's saying what would have been normal is to say, get off kids, get off wife. We got a neighbor here who doesn't have a bed and we need to give him this bed. We need to give him whatever he needs because that is how we're going to love and care for the sojourner coming. Contrastingly, I believe that God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Psalm 147.5 tells us that our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is a radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Oh my goodness. The second characteristic about God that we are not is that he is consistent and invitational. Unlike the man... He is consistent, and he will always be invitational. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 1, 18. Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God is not inconsistent or struggles to be consistent. He is not limited in our, his capacity. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is consistent, and he is invitational. Amen. To sum it up, he is asking and delights in his children being near to him. The second point from today's sermon is this, that children of God pray with shameless boldness. Verses eight through 10, I tell you, even those he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Once again, we live in a very different context. I think many of you probably like myself have installed video doorbells. And if that's you, we're gonna relate on this because that's not the way most of history operated. We didn't know who was coming to our doors. But if some neighbor at 3 a.m. triggered my alarm or triggered my doorbell and I got a notification on my phone, I would not let him get 10 feet close to our door. I would turn on my phone and say, through the microphone on the ring camera doorbell, hey, my kids are sleeping. Don't get near this door. Don't ring the doorbell. We can have a conversation tomorrow. Don't solicit. We are not ready for you today. <laughs> That's what I would say. I think some of you probably think, oh yeah, he's a young looking guy. Yes, I get carded sometimes. I was. At the airport, they called me Aaron's son a couple years ago. But I, 
I grew up, I grew up in a, a time where we had cords on our phone and we did not have caller ID. So I'm trying to relate to maybe the older generation here and saying, hey, look at me from a fresh perspective. Overhead projector, corded phones, no caller ID. Yes and amen. But um, the reality is that we just live in a different time. We know so much, we know what's coming, there's no surprises. There's a lot less to look forward to. We have, we have a response already built in. We know what we're going to do. But on the other side of things, that's the brokenness of the world that I can share with you guys through our doorbells and my behavior. But we try to create maybe this magical, amazing reality, a faux reality seen through all kinds of cartoons, not Bluey because I think Bluey is the greatest cartoon ever made, but Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Our kids love it, I enjoy parts of it, but Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is so wonderful and perfect. The people smile at you, they are ready to say yes to everything that you're going to ask them. There's no disagreements. I told my wife, I would have been a fantastic character in Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. <laughs> because every time I knocked on the door to sell them something, they would always say yes, two of please, two of everything. I would have been the best door-to-door -door salesman if I lived in Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. <laughs> but that's another fake reality that is not what is true. The reason I think shameless boldness is critical in our prayer life and his invitation to us is because I believe we need to create a safe and secure environment if we are going to pray persistently to God. A safe and secure environment without the existence of it will not allow us to persist and our prayer lives will not thrive. I think you guys know that in our relationships with our friends, with our coworkers, with our spouse, with our children, a safe and secure environment is crucial for our conversations, our relationships to thrive. And without a safe and secure environment, it is not going to thrive. Additionally, I think for this type of shameless boldness to lead our prayer, we need to see God for who he is, not just portions of it. I think many of us, depending on our church background, might struggle and see God as this authoritative figure who is holy. He is rightfully holy. If you guys remember, no one could enter even the holy of holies in the original temple without being struck dead. No one could touch the tabernacle without being, Ark of the Covenant without being struck dead. There are these ways that God describes his holiness, his goodness, who he is, the radiance of who he is, that is just amazing that we can't fathom. But at the same time, in his power, in his might, in his omniscience, in his omnipotence, he describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as gentle and lowly at heart. He invites us to be like children and to come near him. It's this, this dichotomy to me, I think as a kid, that doesn't make sense. 
How can you be all-powerful, all-authoritative, and all-knowing, yet know everything that I'm going through, everything that I'm doing, and everything that I am, and invite me openly as an invitation as his children? It's, it's not something that we can just understand without the gospel message. This is why it's so beautiful. If we see God only as an authoritative king, I think our prayer life will fall very short. And at best, I think it will lead us to our prayer life that is led by legalism. I think and I believe that when we have a safe environment where we realize God's holiness, his power, his goodness, his kingship, his sonship, his just amazing everything about his character, that's when a safe and secure environment is created for us to be invited into praying. And that's when we pray boldly without any shame. If those things, shame and guilt and shame and embarrassment does not mix. Shameless boldness. I'm not saying it's not challenging. I I hope you're not hearing me wrong. I'm not saying our prayer life is easy. I'm not saying our life is easy. What I'm saying is that if we understand for God, for who God is, who he is, not who we are, then we get to understand how we can pray for him, pray to him. And then we also realize that the invitation is through Christ who gives us his righteousness. So like there is this, amazing gospel picture of what's going on. Hebrew 4.16 tells us that we approach the throne of grace with boldness in our time of need. Approach the throne of grace. That would have been shocking to the early Jewish people. And with boldness in our time of need, that's what he's inviting us to. So when we pray, what we're doing is we're coming to knock on the cross. It's a metaphorical imagery, but not a far stretch in my mind. When we pray, what I'm saying is that we're metaphorically knocking on the cross every time. When we're praying, we look up at the cross and we see Jesus hanging there, suffering the punishment that we deserve. He doesn't belong up there, but he chose to be up there. Every time we pray and we knock on the cross, we get to see his blood pouring out. And we get to see that the blood pouring out cleanses us of our sin and makes us white as snow. Every time we knock on the cross and we pray, we realize that the cross is also empty. He's no longer hanging there because the tomb is empty and he's resurrected and he is no longer there. So we get to remember the truth of his resurrection. And so Christians, I want to urge you today, I want you to knock on the cross every day of your life, every moment of the day. It makes sense when we examine our lives and the brokenness and we see, for who, see God for who he is, we realize that pray without ceasing and passages like that makes sense. God does not get tired of you knocking on the cross. Never did he get tired of me knocking on the cross. He does not get sick of hearing from you, no matter if you utter the same things over and over again. Your knocking 
will never wear out the cross. It is not what we are imagining the cross made of wood to be. The cross of Jesus will be never wore down by our prayers and our knocking. If you wanna see what shameless boldness looks like, I want you to meet some brothers and sisters in Christ who have been following the Lord for decades. Some, some men and women who have been praying for years and years and years. And I want you to ask them, not what necessarily what God, how he answered each of those prayers, but I would like you guys to ask them what God has done in their hearts and lives as they prayed for years. I think you'll be amazed what you hear from our older, mature brothers and sisters in Christ who have been praying for years. The third point from today is this, that God gives good gifts to those who pray. For everyone who asks receives from verses 10 through 12, and then the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks a door will be opened. What father among you, among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I chuckle at this because when Ashton was reading, I thought I heard her say, if a son asks for a fish, we'll give him a steak instead of a, a fish. And I was like, I would gladly take a steak over a fish, <laughs> but that's not what it said. And then I think looking at my boys, I also chuckle because if they asked for an egg and I gave them a scorpion, I think they would also shout in excitement because a scorpion is much cooler than an egg. But that is not the point. The point is that the Lord will give good gifts and the right gifts to his children. I look back and I see that my prayers were actually answered in all kinds of different ways, various ways that I never imagined my prayers would be answered. This, these are the ways that he answered my prayers. The first way he answered my prayer is by giving me himself. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 91, 4 says, he will cover you with his feathers and you will take refuge under his wings. I didn't fully understand what was going on, but maybe if you're parents or maybe you use weighted blankets yourself, it was as though the Lord was quilting a weighted blanket of his love and grace every single night. The second way he answered my prayers was he gave me the gift of sleep, just very practically. Psalm 127.2, he gives to his beloved sleep. I read that very literally. The third thing he answered my prayers was he gave me faith. He gave me people around me. He gave me people that were around me from early age till even now, where someone that I could always look up to, to ask questions, to be curious about, struggle with, and to say, hey, what is going on? What is going on in life? What, is, what am I supposed to make of any of this? These people that were filled with God's spirit, that have loved the Lord for years, they were amazing. They made worldly optimism and good vibes look like a cheap meal. They made it look like a cheap meal because what they were offering in Jesus 
was infinitely more delicious and satisfying. Finally, he answered my prayer by giving me an imagination for a better kingdom, Matthew 6, 25 to 33. It says, do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God. Every night I do believe the things that I was seeing, you guys know about, I think uh, Pastor Aaron loves to talk about how the brain and the chemicals and all these things work. I'm more simple than that. I know those things affect you as kids, but I do believe even in those circumstances that I was in, he was wiring something in my brain to imagine a better kingdom. He made me think there is something better than this because of what I'm reading in scripture. I also do believe that he wanted me to have this imagination so that I could share it with others. I still pray to this day for my parents. My lovely wife has added a voice to those prayers and I know it's being heard. Two verses that I think sum up this section well about God giving gifts, good gifts to those who pray is James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. I know I'm a little over time already, but you know what, who cares? Because I'm not up here often. <laughs> so I love you guys, and I'm gonna keep going. The last point is this though, you'll be happy. Maybe you're happy, maybe this is an encouragement to you, so um, regardless. The last point is that we pray, when we pray, we pray persistently for the Holy Spirit. We're not just praying willy-nilly. We're not just praying for things. We're not just praying for God to be a genie in a bottle. When we pray, we're praying for the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm gonna let you on a little secret that I believe in wholeheartedly, okay? And you'll see how strange I am, or maybe you'll agree with me and you'll want to become my friend. Either way, <laughs> this is a secret. I believe that to persist in prayer, you need one or two things in life, okay? You either need amnesia or you need the Holy Spirit. And because at least I'm gonna rightfully assume that most of us here don't struggle with amnesia, that it's the Holy Spirit that is helping us to persist in prayer. So what are we asking for when we pray for the Holy Spirit? Don't we have the Holy Spirit when we're saved? And aren't we promised a helper so like, how does this all make sense? Don't I already have the Holy Spirit? What am I, why am I asking for more? 
In a very simple imagery, what I'm saying is that when we pray for the Holy Spirit, we're asking to see and experience and see the power of God more. We want to be in closer relationship with him. We want to continue finding out who he is, how he works, what he is doing in his kingdom. We're asking for a list of things, and because you're getting to know me well, you know that my brain works in bullet points. And if you like bullet points, here is another list. Here is a number of things, not an exhaustive list, that I believe what we are asking for when we ask for the Holy Spirit. The first thing is this. We're asking to pour out his love when we ask for the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, God loves and has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We're asking to remind us, remind and teach us his truth. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you everything that I have told you. When we're praying for the Holy Spirit, we're asking to be in God's presence. Ephesians 2, 18. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. When we're praying for the Holy Spirit, we're asking for people to be saved. Romans 8, 11, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. We're also asking to break strongholds of sin. Galatians 5, 16, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. We're also asking to fill us with joy. 1 Peter 1.8, you have not seen him, but you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an expressible and glorious joy. When we pray for the spirit, we're also asking for the worship of God to take place. Philippians 3.3, worship by the spirit of God. And we're also asking for the various spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. John Piper is a pastor that I really enjoy learning from and uh, reading from. And maybe some of you already uh, enjoy him yourself. But he says this, prevailing prayer is the pathway to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Unless you think God is distant from you and inattentive to you when the Spirit tarries, listen to this encouragement. When you prevail in prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, more is happening in your life through this prevailing prayer than you would ever imagine. We've talked a lot about in the parables, God's kingdom, his invitation to us, his invitation to imagine all kinds of things that he is doing and working through his power for the kingdom. And so as we conclude our time, I'm gonna give you a few application, but for this first part of the application, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna read off a list, another list, surprise, I'm gonna read off another list that I was thinking about that God helped me imagine that maybe could resonate with you. So for this first minute or two, I want you to just close your eyes with me and imagine with me, okay? And as you go home, I want you to just imagine yourself the things that God can do as he is building his kingdom here and now. As I was thinking, praying, and imagining, I was imagining the craziest of our aunts and uncles being saved and getting baptized right here behind me. 
I can imagine our children growing up, or maybe if they're old, going overseas and sharing the good news of the gospel, boldly and without shame. I can imagine churches being planted and some of you being the leaders of those church plants. I can imagine husband and wives on the brink of divorce and deep love with God and each other, serving the church together. I can imagine people giving so generously to the needs seen around them in our city and around the world. I can imagine healing of parent-child relationships that lead to times of worship and prayer together. And I can imagine so much more. So this is why I want you to imagine with me. Because it's not just gonna be left to our imaginations, but God is working in mighty and powerful ways. And I don't want you guys to miss what he's gonna be doing. You guys can open your eyes. I think for non-Christians, I wanna urge you to make today the prayer, the day of your first prayer maybe, to the Lord asking to be forgiven of your sins and to follow him for the rest of your life. I would hate for you to leave if that is on your heart. So we're gonna have the prayer team or grab any of, anyone here, someone next to you. Sit there with that person to pray together. I'm also going to uh, offer up a prayer guide. It's a pray acronym guide. It's gonna be a PDF online that you guys can use to help get started in prayer. It's a little guide. Also another book recommended to me by one of our church members a while back. It's a short little book. It's called How to Pray by R.A. Tori. I'd recommend that. I'd also encourage you to attend our Monday night prayer. I know small groups are great, but it's, it's amazing to pray together with people that just wanna come and pray. And so I wanna leave you with those applications and tell you that I deeply love you guys and encourage you to be a people that draw near to God and to pray. And hopefully we can learn that from the annoying neighbor today. Mm -hmm. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you invite, invite us, Lord, to be near, to pray with shameless boldness. Thank you that you call us your sons and daughters. Thank you that you allow us to imagine what you are doing, what you can do, what you've done, and to think about how wonderful your kingdom continues to be as we look to eternity. Help us, Lord, to just be filled with your spirit and to, be, to live and to walk by your spirit, Lord. Let anyone here today, Lord, that wants to pray just be reminded that, Lord, that their knocking will never wear out the cross and that you are listening to every word, every word that they are praying to you, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.